Oh, there we go. <laughs> it's live. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, where that live button always gets us. There's such a delay. Maybe when we go over to the YouTube product, that uh, it'll be a little bit more cleaner transition. But anyway, welcome to the Carolina Weather Group tonight. Uh, the Wednesday, August 31st edition, uh, the last Wednesday of August, and uh, we're still talking about what we were talking about last week, if that makes any sense to you. Uh, we've been watching Invest 99L uh, since last week, and uh, we continue to watch it as it's been upgraded to Tropical Storm Hermine. Uh, the 8 p.m. advisory just come in, and I'll give you some of the highlights, and we'll talk about it more in depth here in just a little bit. 50 mile per hour winds, uh, movement at north northeast at 8 miles per hour, and the pressure is down to 1,001 millibars uh, still over the Gulf. I did look at radar, uh, just a little, I mean, uh, satellite just a little bit ago. Does look like the uh, center is really getting some nice convection around it, so maybe we can get that pulled up uh, when we talk about the storm in just a little bit. I do want to say uh, we did advertise this show as. Uh, the Hurricane Hunter show, kind of talking about the reconnaissance uh, part of the National Hurricane Center and just how they investigate these hurricanes. But with what's going on in the weather world, uh, our guest Eric Blake uh, is not able to join us tonight. He is working the forecast desk at the National Hurricane Center, so obviously he's a little busy right now. So uh, Eric and I have been in contact uh, via email uh, throughout the day, and we're going to get that show uh, rearranged uh to a uh, much calmer period of time. So uh, we will cover that show. It just will not be tonight. We'll hit a couple of highlights about uh, the reconnaissance stuff, but uh, we do want to focus a little bit on what's going on weather-wise in the tropics. And then kind of uh, we've got some things, uh, videos and stuff prepared uh, about the recon stuff before we kind of give our last thoughts on what to expect, what could be a very uh, active weekend along the entire southeast coast. Uh, from Florida all the way up through Virginia, uh, even up into the Northeast. So uh, this is a live broadcast tonight. I know our show has been shared by several people. So if you are watching and you have any questions for us, please feel free to submit those via Twitter. Uh, you can tweet us at Carolina WX Group, or you can post those on our Facebook page, and we'll make sure to get those answered for you uh, as well. So let's kind of go uh, quickly, kind of do our our wrap up of what's been going on the past couple of days before we go into the tropics. I know everybody's uh, had an active week focusing on uh, the tropics, so let's start off in uh, the Bristol, Tennessee area with uh, uh, Ricky Matthews, who's meteorologist at WCYB. Ricky, uh, you guys have been pretty quiet up there. I've seen you've uh, been doing some uh, water activities on your yep. free time. So, uh, But weather-wise, what's it like up there in uh, eastern Tennessee? Weather-wise, the word to describe it is uh, hot. I think we're up to, don't quote me on the number, I'm pretty sure it's 52 days now above 90 this year. Our average is, depending on if you believe the weather service, Eximasis, or NCDC, it's anywhere between 14 and 19. I go with 19 myself because that just makes it sound better, but lots of people only use 17. But anyway, 52 versus 17 for our normal was pretty remarkable. Our most ever was 55 back in 2010. Uh, we're probably going to hit the second warmest summer ever on record according to some data Chris dug up. So it's been hot. I had a few thunderstorms. Pretty cool looking storm earlier. Um, it look, almost looked like a classic thunderstorm supercell outside my window. I took a picture of it. I think I tweeted out. If not, I will shortly. But hot and calm. Yeah, it has been hot. And it looks like in the maybe the 8 to 15 day time frame, we're going to have another big surge of heat. So 
uh, definitely could see 90 degrees plus over 60 days for your area, Ricky, and as well here in the Western Carolinas. So we're, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're looking closely at the forecast for next weekend, too, because uh, we have that kind of big football game that people <laughs> want to go to or something coming up. I don't know. Yeah, slightly, slightly. I think it's being uh, publicized more than the the night race up there. This is going to be a big event for your area. So uh, let's go up to uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, with David Reese. David, uh, you guys up there fighting the uh, heat as well? Oh yeah. Once again, we're finishing up another stretch. Ninety degree days. I've lost count how many we've had. It's been so many. Not as many as 2010, but it's it's still up there in the uh, upper 30s, low 40s. We hit 93 degrees again today. Looking forward to that cold front. Here I thought we are going to have a nice, cool stretch of weather as we go through Labor Day weekend and beautiful sunshine and everything else. But then, well, things kind of went out the window earlier this morning. We'll get to that in just a minute. But uh, other than that, we are looking uh, nice, at least for your Friday. Then as we get into the weekend, things get a little bit more uncertain. Hopefully, we'll be able to cool things off just a touch. But with La Nina out there, it usually least least uh, warmer than average fall, so I think the uh, warmer weather will probably continue into September and early October, unfortunately. It has been warm. Let's go down to where uh, it's been a little bit active rain-wise, Shay. I think you guys have had a few upper-level lows off the coast and some storminess down there. What's going on in Charleston tonight? Yeah, that's pretty much the story the last couple of days with upper-low uh, hanging right off the coast just south of Charleston yesterday, and it finally went inland. It would get caught up along the cold front approaching the southeast and then sort of pulled up along that, but uh, not before dropping quite a bit of rain the last couple of days. On and off showers, it's really not that much accumulation, maybe a couple of inches, but uh, just kind of cool weather, uh, cooler than normal uh, with all the rains and, and clouds overhead, so it's been kind of nice, but it's also been really muggy. Uh, today, we, we showed some of the first signs of real instability in the area with some passing showers. Just my, They look like minor convective bands coming ashore along the east-southeast flow, and it really did crank the winds up about 33 miles an hour. So uh, that's usually a sign of things to come with some of that upstream moisture ahead of uh, tropical storm uh, Hermine coming up from the Gulf. Well, we're expecting quite a bit of rain over this area starting probably tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon. We'll see some of that rain really pushing in from the south across Georgia and then to parts of South Carolina. So that's one of those classic, typical kind of situations from the Gulf and you get this giant surge of moisture out ahead of it. So I, all eyes are on the Gulf right now for us. Yeah, definitely. And uh, let's go down to Charlotte, North Carolina with uh, James Brierton. James, uh, another hot and humid day in uh, Charlotte. Yeah, I thought we were going to get some showers this afternoon, and I'm not really sure we ever saw one here in Pineville, but certainly just south of the border in South Carolina we had some. Uh, personally speaking, I was in New York this past weekend. Weather was very nice there, and uh, I'm scheduled to be in Boston at the start of next week, weather permitting. So uh, quite a bit of uh, travel here, but uh, also lots of uh, weather news intertwining between that. So lots happening. Definitely is, and uh, let's get to a familiar face who... Uh, you guys all who have watched our show or listened to it, you know Gary Stevenson, Chief Meteorologist up in the uh, Raleigh, North Carolina area. And Gary, I assume you're going to finish out the, uh, the how many ever people's on here. You're hot in Raleigh, right? It's been hot up there too. Uh, yeah, it's been hot, but I want to I want to make this uh, perfectly clear right now. I am sick of the Atlantic Basin hurricane season. <laughs> <laughs> 
Poor souls just getting started. I know it's sad, isn't it? No, no. You know, our big story here in North Carolina this week is we've been dealing with Tropical Depression Eight, which has been just kind of sitting and doing its thing and not strengthening and looking pretty pathetic. And you know, we sent crews to the uh, coast to uh, cover this. And uh, they're like, this is almost embarrassing to cover this storm. And, you know, it, it was a minimal thing. I mean, a little bit of rain, a little bit of wind, the, the, the most dangerous thing that we had of uh, the, the depression was actually the rip current risk that we had along the coast. There were numerous uh, water rescues, uh, surf rescues uh, due to the rip currents. And, you know, that's another thing that, unfortunately, we're probably going to face with her meaning as it works its way up the coast is, again, uh, increased rip current risk just in time. Uh, for Labor Day weekend, so uh, people need to keep that in mind if they're headed to the coast. That you know, even made clear, we still may have that rip current risk that persists for a, a day or two once that storm passes. But yeah, yeah, we're kind of we're, we're like Shay, kind of keeping an eye on it because we got a frontal boundary that's going to be setting across North Carolina, and when the front starts interacting with all that tropical moisture, fun times will be had by all. Yep. Did you get your tricked out shopping cart yet? I haven't, but I've got it on order through eBay right now. Good, good. All right, guys. Uh, let's go into talking about what uh, is going on in the tropics right now with uh, Hermine. Uh, finally, uh, was declared a tropical storm uh, earlier today at about 2 o'clock. Uh, first, before we do that, let's kind of talk about the trend the past couple of days. Uh, had it coming into the panhandle of Florida and then kind of hugging uh, or just off of the coastline, the, the southeast coastline. But as we went throughout the day today, we've seen a pretty big shift. I, I don't know if pretty big is a good word, but we've seen a, a shift in the models, and it's now taken uh, the center of the storm more inland, uh, even over your area there in Raleigh, uh, Gary. Yeah, when that... Uh, um initial forecast uh, with the GFS came out, the operational GFS came out about midday today, and we saw that forecast shift that came more across the central part of central and eastern North Carolina. I think everybody just went, <gasps> at that point, um, because that was a fairly significant shift to the west, and then the, the big question was going to be, was the Hurricane Center going to shift their forecast at 5 o'clock based on some of those new uh, model runs that were coming in? And, you know, certainly that's a game changer right there. I know we're still, you know, 48, 72 hours out from this thing moving across North Carolina, but certainly a lot of the models are in a, a tighter agreement that this thing's going to make its way across central and eastern North Carolina. For geographical reference right now, we're thinking somewhere along the I-95 corridor. And when you've got that moving in, you've got a, a, a frontal boundary that's going to go stationary over the state interacting with that system. Um, you know, we talked about it last week with inland tropical systems. Not only are you looking at heavy rainfall, but you're also looking at gusty winds, and you're also looking at that possibility of isolated tornadoes. And there's been more than one time that I've seen an old boundary sitting over North Carolina, and a tropical system come in, and all of a sudden our uh, our tornado threat gets bumped up. And right now, also the scary thing is, I think personally, is this thing's probably going to come in at night, uh, at least in the North Carolina during the night. So not only are we having possible tropical system tornadoes spinning up, which are relatively difficult to see on the Doppler, uh, but also people aren't going to be able to see them. Uh, so, uh, you know, some some concern about the timing of the system, uh, but uh, I, like I said, I think all the meteorologists from Georgia up through uh, uh, the Carolinas into Virginia took a big gasp today when that GFS model dropped in. 
David, I think you had a great explanation I saw you put on Twitter, kind of why that track shifted west, though. You caught something on the GFS when you looked at some of the vorticity uh, and showed kind of why that track was shifted that way. Yeah, and the funny thing is I kind of joked about it. I saw that little fort lobe kind of swirling there in the Great Lakes and Midwest there in Indiana and Ohio, and I was just like, you know, if things slow down with her mean, and then if that decides to be a little stronger than forecast, it could just kind of try to Fuji war things around and bring it back closer to the coast. I vaguely mentioned that to one of the weather chats that I'm a part of, and I was mostly joking. And then sure enough, the following day, I started to see hints of it. And then this morning, it's just like, well, like, like Gary was saying, it's just like, all right, now you're talking about more of an inland runner along Interstate 95, and that's kind of one of the reasons why is that just so slow, Hermine, that is forecast to come in a little bit slower. You have that vort lobe there in uh, Indiana trying to get into Kentucky and then Tennessee, and then you just kind of have that wrap in, and guys brought up the tweets there, the deeper red colors there, that's the 500 millibar vorticity map, just in basic terms, the amount of spin and energy in the atmosphere. Notice that deep red color, that's where Hermine is. And then you have the lighter yellow color as you're going forward in time. It starts to get a little red. That means it's strengthening a little bit more. And then it just kind of captures and kind of pulls Hermine a little bit more to the north and west. And sure enough, it's just like, all right, let's go ahead and give Gary and me a little bit more things to worry about and to forecast over the weekend and forecast at least a chance for rain over Labor Day weekend, which is never a good thing. So that's that's one thing that I noticed not only GFS was doing, but also the Euro was doing as well. And that's kind of one of the reasons why you're starting to see maybe that trying to bend back to the north and west after moving up uh, the east coast for a little while. And Shay, you've been following this thing from day one. Kind of talk about the progress of the last couple of days and then what we are seeing right now um, with the – I know you said the, the hunters are in there now. Uh, kind of talk about what, what's taking place because it kind of looks like the center may be kind of relocating. Uh, yeah, it's taking a little bit of a jog to the north-northeast, and it, just, it might just be reorganizing its surface circulation right now, going through a little bit of a structural phase uh, as it tries to strengthen. Uh, one thing that – I've noticed about the system from day one is that even with the weak surface circulation, there really hasn't been much of a mid-level circulation aloft over that. So when you have poor exhaust on a system, uh, even with anticyclonic uh, motion on top of it with high pressure aloft, uh, that should be healthy for exhaust with divergence aloft, but uh, without a good solid mid-level low over it to help lift from the surface up into the upper atmosphere, the exhaust system is really kind of broken for it, and so that's what's been uh, plaguing the system. That plus, it moving across northern Cuba, I'm sorry, north of Cuba, and then between Florida and Cuba, the mountainous terrain and, and the uh, topography of the island itself uh, has blocked a lot of that southerly convergence from being able to make it, uh, you know, up and around the storm. So now that it's free of that landmass and it's actually able to pull from across the, um, I'd say the loop current, which is some of the very warm waters of the Gulf and all the way down into the Yucatan area, now it's actually able to uh, wrap some southerly convergence around the center. And, and what we're still seeing right now is a, a slight displaced mid-level low just off to the southeast of the system. Uh, I can kind of give you, show you that. I can grab the screen. Let me know when you can see. 
We got it. Good? Yep. All right, this is the earth.noschool.net map. Uh, it updates every three hours, but it's a it's pretty good guidance. So for any of the viewers out there that are looking for, you know, how do I find out what's going on in the, the low, the mid, and upper level atmosphere as far as wind and air motion goes, this is a pretty good product to use. And this is the surface right here. I put a little circle right where the surface low is right about now. Uh, and then we go up to 18,000 feet at 500 millibars, and you see the mid-level low is very, very close to over being over the, the surface circulation, which explains some of the strengthening today because as that mid-level low becomes more aligned over the top, then you get a healthy exhaust on the system. Uh, one hindrance that it had before was upper-level shear was staying on it from a trough that kept digging down over it from the north and east. Uh, the upper-low over South Carolina certainly didn't help anything by ripping some of the cloud tops off from this direction. So... Uh, that you know, it's had some um, some issues trying to get its its act together. Uh, the other issue is that we don't really have a, a very well defined anticyclone aloft. So you have a lot of different air movements going on. It's going to be heading up to the north and getting pulled to the northeast along this upper jet. So that explains it's it's being pulled up to the northeast. I think that jet stream is is partially responsible for that shift to the west too, because it it digs down and then lifts up across the mid state versus over the coastline where it was before. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's in progress right now. We're trying to see if it's going to have any strengthening. There is, let me show the sea surface temperatures for the Gulf of Mexico. And, I mean, <laughs> it's plenty warm enough, plenty warm enough at the surface, 86 to 88 degree waters. Uh, you have a surface circulation, and then the mid-level circulation is almost stacked on top of that. The only thing you don't really have is a good, healthy divergence aloft. So, the system's not able to get a real good heat engine going where you have secondary circulation, you have the, the, I'll go back and circle this, where you have this motion in this direction for the surface low, and then even aloft, when you look at it from a side profile, the air goes out and down and back into the system on all sides of it. And so that's your secondary circulation, that's what really drives these storms to build in uh, intensity. And we just haven't been able to get that engine going yet. So we're on engine number one. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was I was looking at it, something else. I can't. Let's see. Shay's videos. Oh, okay. There he is. <laughs> I thought we had lost Shay there for a second. Um, yeah. Let's talk about intensity. And I'm going to bring this up. A couple of uh, shout-outs I want to give. Thanks to uh, Mike's weather page and uh, our buddy Levi Cowan at Tropical Tidbits. Uh, this is uh, kind of the intensity model. Uh, these are a lot of our, our models that we run. Um, and this is kind of keeping it a tropical storm, but we have seen a few of them peak up into maybe a low-end Category 1. So what do you guys think? What do you think, as Shay was talking about, the warmer waters of the Gulf, how much do you think that will affect its intensity as it moves towards uh, the, the Big Bend area of Florida? Well, I think a lot of that's going to have to do with what we've been talking about, too, which is exactly where the storm goes. If it spends more time, of course, over the Gulf, the more chance it'll have to intensify. But, you know, the last few updates, kind of as it moved further west, we're already kind of talking about a less intense storm, especially as it gets up into the mid-Atlantic, into the northeast. So I think those are kind of the two things we kind of have to weigh here. You know, the more time we spend over the water, the further west it's going to go. we got a lot of moving pieces. And I think I think that's the thing we got to convey to the general public, too, who probably are just catching wind of this and maybe have some recollection of Invest 99L that we were talking about last week. But from the public perception, I think that really just disappeared. So I think we really kind of have to set the table new and fresh because people kind of, if they were following it, probably lost track of it over the weekend. 
Which brings me to this, and we can include intensity if you guys have anything to add to that. Gary, David, uh, I want to ask Ricky when he comes back. Shay, you as well. Uh, you guys all have uh, big outlets that you can get information out, TV-wise and uh, via Wind Alert uh, with you, Shay. How hard has it been to talk about this system? I mean, we were talking about it this time last week with it being Invest 99L. Uh, we honestly thought by this time last week it had already made landfall and had done whatever it was going to do. Uh, but it kind of just sat in the golf. It really went through a rugged period where there was not much to it. Uh, so we're going on 10, 11 days. I know we're all tired of it. Uh, we've joked around. I've joked around uh, how we should retire Invest 99L and her main, even if it doesn't do anything, you know, it, it, it should go away just because it's been much of a hindrance. But how hard has it been to communicate this uh, throughout the duration? Gary, I'll let you start, and, and then David, you and Shay and Ricky can, can join in. You know, sometimes I wonder how the public actually, I mean, because really we've been dealing with Gaston, which became a major hurricane. Uh, we were dealing, especially in North Carolina, with Tropical Depression uh, 8. And now all of a sudden we've got Tropical Depression 9, which finally became uh, Hermine. Uh, but I think most people in North Carolina were actually focused on Tropical Depression 8 because there were indications that that was going to become Hermine before TD9 did. Um, and I think there was some concern about that system because I saw a lot of <laughs> misinformation get out over the weekend about how bad you know, TD8 was going to be because people were actually confusing it uh, with Gaston and it didn't really help the matter that we had some national news organizations that kind of sent out some bad things on social media to confuse people farther. Uh, but I, I, I do believe that some people have been confused just a little bit for the very simple fact that it's like, okay, I'm hearing about a tropical depression off of our coast. Now all of a sudden there's another one that's going to affect us. Um, but I, I think what it was is because uh, 99L was kind of off everyone's radar. Hey, it's down in the Florida Straits, it's in the Gulf of Mexico, it's away from North Carolina, and then all of a sudden we've got this thing heading northeast and potentially impacting North Carolina um, uh, into the week, into the first part of the upcoming weekend. But I think at this point people are starting to catch on that we're dealing with a second storm here, uh, and this is uh, going to be a lot more impressive, uh, and it's going to be uh, uh, a bit more hazardous than what we dealt with with TD8. Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely entertaining trying to differentiate between the two, uh, TD8 and then TD9 down in the Gulf of Mexico. I mentioned TD8 just because, well, people go to the Outer Banks of North Carolina from Central Virginia. They like going there for vacation, so I talked about that a little bit on uh, over the weekend and earlier this week. And like, hey, rip currents would be probably a biggest threat, maybe some squally weather if it gets close enough. But I make sure it's like, hey, TD number nine, we'll also have to worry about even as we head into Labor Day weekend, even if you're still heading down to the Outer Banks, you're still going to have to worry about it. So try to make sure to differentiate the two and give at least the time each deserved. And of course, today with everything kind of shifting to the West, I definitely started hyping it up a little bit more. And by hyping, I mean actually like talking about it for more than about 10, 15 seconds. Now it's just like, hey, this depending on where it goes, if it goes more east, not as much rain, maybe a little cloud cover, that'll be about it. If it comes more west, it could be more of a rainmaker, it could be more of a problem. So we'll fine-tune this over the next couple of days. That was pretty much the second half of my weather cast today outside of that cold front. So 
it's definitely something that you have to relay to the public, not only on air, but also on social media and everything else like I've been trying to do because, I mean, a lot of people still get their news from not only the news, but also on social media. So I was trying to make sure that, hey, things have changed a little bit. This does happen with tropical systems. They sometimes have a mind of their own. So we'll get things figured out before the weekend. So stay with us and you guys will get the most accurate forecast as possible. David, speaking of social media, I saw this tweet the other day. Someone asks, so when did they change the tradition of naming tropical storms? Invest 99L? Seriously? Who made that decision? So I know the conversation has come up about whether or not this bad boy needed a name in order to make it easier to communicate. Ricky, was that something you guys ran into with your communication plan that with all these different invests, tropical depression, tropical storms, sometimes it would just be easier to have a, a common name attached to a storm? I mean... And granted, we are in the mountains, and I think our people who care may be a little bit lower just because of where we're at. Uh, I can't really say, personally, I had a whole lot of confusion with this system, um, at least people who have asked me about it. And in fact, I haven't had a ton of interest in uh, this system either from my viewers. But we did talk about it a little bit, and I used the Invest name. Um, when it became Tropical Depression 9, I said on air what we've been tracking over the past couple of days, and yes, I use the word tracking, uh, over the past couple of days saying, you know, this is the same system, what we call Invest 99L, that's now in the Gulf and has formed into Tropical Depression number 9. So we kind of followed the chronological order of how the system formed. Um, but I can totally see your point, though, James, about, you know, people getting confused about it. I mean... <laughs> I think when the Hurricane Center put out a uh, public advisory and was putting Gaston by mistake in one of their updates and their tweets, I think even uh, some meteorologists get confused. And I, I know I was too. I was getting confused and losing track of what number was which. So I, I can't I can't blame the weather service, Hurricane Center, or the public trying to keep track of all these. Not to mention what's happening uh, in the Pacific near Hawaii as well, too. So we've got a lot of names uh, bouncing around. Uh, did you guys uh, want me here at 8.30 just to kind of give a quick recap of the 8 p.m. advisory for folks who might just be joining us and kind of what we're talking about here on uh, our special live show tonight? Yes. Give me one second. We had a, a tweet just come in uh, from Annette, Gill Annette Gillette. Uh, she is asking, uh, what is the forecast going to be for the Southport area of North Carolina on Friday? And I know that Gary covers the uh, eastern part of North Carolina. So, uh, Gary, Annette uh, is wanting to know. I, I'm sorry, wanting to know uh, what she should expect in Southport on Friday. Well, right now um, we're going to have the frontal boundary over the area. I think there will be a chance of showers earlier, early in the day on Friday. But as we proceed into the afternoon, I think rain chances are going to start increasing. They're certainly going to get heavier later in the afternoon into the evening hours and continue through the overnight. As a matter of fact, Southport area right now could be in a significant bullseye for anywhere from five to seven inches of rainfall, uh, some gusty winds. I know the latest wind forecast from the Hurricane Center actually put some tropical storm force winds uh, near our, our coastline as that system moves through overnight Friday. And, and the winds would actually develop, uh, again, on the current forecast, five o'clock Wednesday forecast from the Hurricane Center would actually develop uh, mid to late Friday Friday evening 
So wind speeds increasing, continuing through the overnight, and then dropping off on Saturday morning. Uh, again, I think the bulk of this thing is going to come through the Southport area, probably, again, late Friday afternoon, Friday overnight, early Saturday morning. And I would not be at uh, all surprised, Annette, if you've got crystal clear blue skies, if this thing keeps moving by Saturday afternoon, and it should be a nice afternoon by then. But uh, again, from Friday afternoon, especially into the overnight, early Saturday morning, that's when the bulk of this system is going to be affecting uh, uh, parts of the coastal sections and eastern uh, parts in North Carolina. All right, Annette. I hope, I hope that, uh, that helps answer, answer your question, question as you are um, on the uh, Southport. While you're down there, uh, if you're visiting on vacation, I suggest eating at Fishy Fishy or the Frying Pan. Can't go wrong with either one of them. Good places. We give you weather and food recommendations. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's a must when I go down there. I have to eat at one of those two places. But go ahead, James. I uh, give, yeah, uh, I give no, you the floor. <laughs> Thank you very much. I don't have food recommendations, but uh, perfect uh, transition off of what we are just talking about. This is uh, the latest forecast cone from the National Hurricane Center. And if you are just trying to get uh, caught up on all the different storms that are happening right now, uh, we are talking uh, about the storm that last week you might have heard as uh, Invest 99L uh, made its way just north of Cuba, kind of snuck over the Keys into the, uh, the Gulf of Mexico, and now being forecast as a tropical storm to make its way towards the big uh, curve there and portions of the panhandle of Florida by the time we look ahead into late Thursday into Friday when it could be impacting ports, uh, portions of South Georgia. Then kind of the big question, and you'll notice in the forecast cone, of course, it gets wider and wider as, as the days go out because our, uh, our confidence in the forecast gets a little bit more uncertain. We're looking at different model runs and different scenarios, so by the time we get into portions of uh, late Friday and beginning of the holiday weekend, we could have a storm that's somewhere uh, in the Mid-Atlantic affecting the Carolinas. That's the best kind of guess right now. And as, as Gary was just mentioning, it's going to, uh, uh, good news for us is it is going to move out of the Carolinas uh, by the time we really get into the heart of that holiday weekend, which is great news for us here in the Southeast. It's bad news for anybody living in the Northeast or maybe if you have travel plans in the Northeast because it is a, uh, essentially going to be affecting a large portion of the Mid-Atlantic coast and portions of the Northeast. But if you look on the map there where it says 1 p.m. Sunday, 1 p.m. Monday, that is a very large area. And it's not necessarily that the storm is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes up the coast. Again, this is kind of that area of uncertainty. We have a feeling it's going to be somewhere in this area, whether that's parked over the New York metropolitan area or as hundreds of miles out to sea is still yet to be determined. But either way, it's definitely going to affect you if you're along the coast, uh, regardless of the storm's actual location, because of things like rip currents, which has already been a problem up and down portions of the northeast, mid-Atlantic, and even portions of the southeast coast. And here's just a look from Goes East, a satellite that's uh, keeping an eye on this right now. Uh, the latest water vapor image, you can kind of see uh, where the storm is uh, as it, uh, again, is anticipated to kind of come ashore into the, the big bend of, uh, of Florida here. And I heard somebody give a statistic earlier in the show or before the show started. When was the last time a tropical storm or tropical cyclone made landfall in, in Florida? David Reese, did you have the answer to that question? Oh, well, a tropical storm hit earlier this year close to it uh last time we were we were talking about hurricane watches and warnings oh, okay uh last time the hurricane watch was issued was back in 2013 this is for the big bend region so like the tallahassee wfo so uh that was let's see if i can't find that tweet to help me jog my memory but it was uh, last hurricane watch was for a tropical storm karen in october 2013 and then the last warning for the Big Bend region was Hurricane Ida in 2009. So it's it's been a long time for areas up 
in that direction. And it's also a good uh, time to start talking about the storm surge uh, potential as well, because uh, we should probably talk about that since the National Hurricane Center is starting to issue some storm surge mm -hmm. maps and forecasts and warnings and everything else. So I know, James, you probably have that available for we us. We do, to talk we about. do. And, and I know that's one of the things we want to hit tonight as well as uh, talk a little bit about the, the Hurricane Hunter aircraft that they're using to investigate the storm. But let's talk a moment about tropical storm warnings and hurricane watches because we got this question in from Tim Pounds. And, and I'm, I'm wondering maybe if Gary or, or Shay could take this question. Uh, Tim is a little confused, and I, 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 I don't blame him. Why has the National Weather Service issued both a tropical storm warning and a hurricane watch for essentially the same area when when in truth the official forecast does not actually call for a hurricane at this at, at this point uh, anybody in particular well, take this one Gary you know actually we have that similar situation with tropical depression 8 off the North Carolina coast even though TD8 never became a tropical storm it was forecast to become a tropical storm hence the reason why we had a, a tropical storm watch for the Carolina coast or parts of the Carolina coast and then a tropical storm warning as it got a little bit closer because it was forecast to become uh, a tropical storm during its interaction with our coastline. Now, I'm thinking the thinking for the uh, National Weather Service and the National Hurricane Center with uh, uh, Hermine is kind of based on the same thing. Number one, they know for a fact they've got a tropical storm out there and that is going to affect the coast, hence there's a warning. reason there's a hurricane watch, this thing is going to be pretty close to minimal category one hurricane status. Uh, right now, I think the forecast is for it to reach a maximum of 70 miles per hour, but if for some reason this thing gets bumped up to 74 miles per hour, it's a Cat 1 hurricane. So it's kind of like the Weather Service, the National Hurricane Center, kind of covering all of their bases right now, just in case we do see uh, this thing uh, jump up and, and become a hurricane, because the National Hurricane Center is going to be the first to admit it. Any meteorologist is going to be first to admit it. Forecasting a track on a tropical system is relatively easy compared to an intensity forecast. That is still uh, a very elusive thing to lock down on the intensity on some of these storms. And uh, uh, Shay, if you want to jump in and, and add something that I may have left out, go for it, buddy. Oh, no, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I think really what it comes down to is what is imminent and what is possible. So the tropical, the warning means basically it is going to happen. You're going to, you're going to see tropical storm force winds or tropical storm conditions in your area. Uh, the hurricane watch means that it's possible you may see that. I can't remember the timeline. It's either 24 to 48 hours, I believe, uh, for the actual time when you may see those conditions occur. And even if you have a tropical storm of 60 miles an hour, that doesn't mean you still can't get gusts from squall lines in excess of 70 to 80 miles an hour in some of those higher spikes. So, you, you know, it really comes to be a matter of, um, you know, if they want to get the word out, they know that it's going to become a, a, a moderate to even strong tropical storm. They would probably put a hurricane watch out every time just in case it does become that right before it hits the coast. Shay, I'm helps. wondering if you can assist us, uh, and I, I know we're talking a lot about trying to determine the intensity of this storm, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, what was the promoted topic of this week's show before this kind of became uh, the, the big week's news, uh, and talk a little bit about what the Weather Service, the National Hurricane Center, in conjunction with the Air Force is doing right now as we speak, and has been doing, will continue to do, to get those observations, because we looked at that satellite a moment ago, and this thing is out at sea, so you've got some buoys, uh, but they're kind of scattered and few 
and far between. So uh, we want to kind of show you folks, and, and we had talked about uh, 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 talking about this on this week's show, uh, the Hurricane Hunter aircraft. Uh, and these are some, uh, really honestly, some vintage planes that are flown out into the storm and to actually get observations, weather instruments attached to the plane flying through the storm. And so what we're looking at right now on a Shea screen from our friends at uh, tropicaltidbit.com uh, is some of those observations that are coming in right now. And we're going to play some video in a moment to kind of show you uh, exactly what this plane looks like and how these instruments work. But before we do that, and while we got that queued up, Shea, can you just kind of give us some detail on what you're seeing with the data that's on your screen right now? Sure. Uh, right now, the AF-307 is, is leaving uh, from the Gulf Coast to head down into the system uh, as one is finishing up. So mission number 10, NOAA-3, uh -huh. has already finished up their uh, interrogation of the system. And what you see here is the pattern that they put out for whenever they study a, a tropical cyclone, they usually try to go in, in quadrants of the system, uh, this one being the northeast quadrant, uh, this one over here being let me get the tool out here. This one being the northwest quadrant. Uh, they studied the southeast quadrant and somewhat to the east over here because a lot of the convection of the system has been focused on this side of the storm uh, for the last 24 hours. So they, they put a little extra effort into this area of the system to find out what the highest winds were. And what they do is they drop what they call drop sons and they drop um, these oh. instruments down into the system that actually get wind readings. They do take live wind readings from the wing uh, they get information from their drop sons, and then they determine what the sea, mean sea level pressure, what the winds, what, uh, what, what all is going on with the system at various levels. So this one right here at the surface shows 50 to 55 knot winds uh, on the eastern, extreme eastern, I'm sorry, close eastern side of the system. And, and you can see that most of the strength is really just based on this area right here. And this is one of the, another one of the reasons why it took this system a long time to get a name is because most of the convection and the activity was off to the southeast side underneath that mid-level low. So there really wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, high energy going around the system. There still isn't now. So, I mean, we only got 15 to 20 knots of wind along the northwest quadrant of this system. And so this is one way that the Hurricane Hunters and National Hurricane Center can get uh, more data other than, other than that. Without these flights, we would never be able to get true physical data except for the surface observations from buoys or what's called the Dvorak technique where you actually uh, take uh, satellite imagery, they take uh, advanced scatterometer swaths over the system to find out uh, what, what you know, microwave energy is sending back as a, as a vertical profile over the system. Uh, several other things feed into that and they can kind of determine when it becomes a tropical storm or hurricane, but this is much more exact way of of saying yes, this is absolutely a tropical storm at this point, and it is today since the winds were consistently above tropical storm force values. So uh, that's one of the ways that they that they are able to determine it. Um, you can see this graph right here shows some of the information that they have, and here's your top speed here at 50 miles an hour. I'm sorry, 50 knots. Um, probably a little bit lower on the base for what they put out for the 8 p.m. update at 50 miles an hour uh, for the system. You can see the pressure is down to 1,001 millibars. So, you know, there's um, this is where they get their consistency for the lowest pressure, this blue line being the pressure of the system. Uh, it looks like there's been a little bit of a jog for it in, in the pressure itself. Normally you would see something like this, a divot in the graph where you could actually see the where the actual center of circulation is, but uh, I think that was a little bit further off the graph earlier. And so this is just another way that they can tell. If Gary, if you have anything you can you can add, you're quite the pilot here. Maybe you can uh, add to this. 
Well, the, the biggest thing I was going to say is they're not vintage airplanes. Oh, I'm sorry, Gary. <laughs> I, was, I, was wondering, I was wondering if Ricky was going to jump in, but uh, yeah. Um, they're classics, though, aren't they? No, 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 no. They're, they're some of the Air Force's finest. I mean, the, the designs uh, have been around for years. I mean, the C-130 Hercules that the uh, Air Force uses uh, has been around Oh, God, what, Ricky, 40, 50 years? I mean, that thing's been around for a long time. Same thing with the P-3 Orion that the, uh, the NOAA uh, folks fly into. Um, but uh, I, think, I think Hurricane Hunters are using the J model on the, uh, the Hercules right now. Um, I don't know what the model is on the P-3 Orion that, that NOAA is working with. Um, but I, I think it's amazing uh, that with the technology that we have today, there are two things that I do not see changing in the weather world in the foreseeable future, and that's number one, flying aircraft into hurricanes to to get readings and weather balloons. Uh, they they you know with with all the satellite with the drone technology, you know, we are flying drones into into uh, tropical systems now, but they can't drop the instrumentation that the P3 and the, the uh, C-130s can do to give us an overview of what these storms look like. And it's this data that really helps tremendously uh, with the forecasting of, of where these systems are going to end up uh, uh, in time. And, and I suppose that that's what always kind of surprised me was, you, you know, you, you have a lot of this 21st century technology that's out there now, but these are some really well-built machinery that has been around for a while, but, man, it really does a really good job. And I think I probably cut off Ricky, so I'll stop talking for a second so he can hear his thoughts. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I agree with uh, what Gary said. You know, it, it's still amazing the information we get from this, but think about it on a, a land-based scale, you know, we can use all of our best modeling data, but what do we still use for surface ops? Use thermometers and ASOS stations. What do you use for determining if there's a tornado on the ground? Lots of times, weather spotters. So there, there's very little things that will ever replace ground truth with instruments and people, you know? So I'm going to take 90 seconds out to kind of show what we're talking about and also deeply embarrass myself. Uh, this is a package I did in like 2009 while partaking in a program, kind of a student reporter program with CNN. So uh, I'm going to play this just so you can kind of get an idea of the type of plane we're talking about and the, and the, um, the instruments that they're using aboard this plane, and we're going to totally ignore my production value. Hopefully this works. Some light rain here on Long Island, nothing for the crew of the Hurricane Hunter aircraft behind me. We're used to flying through some of our most severe hurricanes to get the National Weather Service the latest information. They stopped here at Republic Airport as a part of their week-long severe weather tour. NOAA's Lockheed WP-3D Orion turboprop aircraft slices through a hurricane as nerves inside rattle with every wake of turbulence. Because as a pilot, I was trained to fly to stay away from bad weather, and now that's my mission is to fly into bad weather. Now, the plane itself is just a 1976 P-3. It's not structurally enhanced at all. Um, there's a lot of scientific gear in the back that makes it special, but up here, it's pretty much a, an airliner. Once inside the hurricane, the crew releases a probe to measure the storm's power. The data is then sent back to the Hurricane Center in Miami. Long Island hasn't seen a major hurricane in over two decades, but the threat still remains. So the problem you have here is just like you mentioned, you can go a whole generation without uh, a substantial impact from a hurricane. So 
it becomes a story rather than something someone lived. And I think the challenge there is convincing people that this threat is real for them. Because even though it's a rare event, it will happen again. So we come up here to remind people, don't let your guard down. It's been a while since her, uh, Long Island's got hit by one. Who knows what this season will bring. Noah's going to announce the official forecast on May 21st. Um, and uh, we'll see what the season shapes up to be. At Republic Airport on Long Island, I'm James Briarton. I report for CNN. So, again, that was about 2009. That's why you saw uh, then-director of the National Hurricane Center, Bill Reed. They were doing their kind of publicity tour before the, the start of the season uh, to kind of come on out. My computer's a little frozen, but I'm hopefully I'm going to keep talking. Hopefully you guys can still hear me uh, and kind of just show uh, the type of aircraft, uh, among some others, uh, that, that they are, are using. Good Hopefully job. That. Good job. <laughs> I dug that, that out. I dug that out today as our as our fallback. Uh, <laughs> That's great, James. That was, uh, so, that, was, that was very well done. Uh, I could have used a lighter too, uh, shooting the pilot who with a bright background. But uh, <laughs> regardless, I, I I remember being really surprised, and I think this is what I was talking about a moment was when I saw that plane in 09, and when I look at it today, I do. You'd think of satellites. You think of uh, drones. You think of you know, fighter jets that the military may use for, for actual military purposes. And then you kind of see a plane with propellers and, you know, they, they said this particular one's from, from the 70s. But, but Gary, you know this a lot better than I do, and, and so uh, I will totally take your word on it. But uh, this is a very strong piece of, uh, of aircraft uh, mechanics here. They do, and and here's the here's the trick. This is one of the reasons they use these these prop planes. Number one, um, jet engines do not handle uh, high amounts of water intake, and that's exactly what you're going to get with a tropical system. So these turboprop aircraft, they can handle the, the high volumes of water that they're going to encounter with these storms. Not to mention, uh, as a pilot, what you want to do if you're going to encounter turbulence is you want to fly as slow as possible without falling out of the sky. And if you've got a jet, well, that ain't going to happen. Uh, so you're going to end up probably ripping the wings off the airplane, but with the P3 and with the C-130, you know, you can, you can slow it down, you can take the turbulence, uh, the engines are not going to fail on you because they're ingesting a ton of water, um, but I, I'll be honest with you, I learned something in the package, I didn't realize that the, the, that P3, and I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know if that's the same P3 they're flying today, was a 70s model, so I'm assuming it's been overhauled. I do know when I flew with the uh, Hurricane Hunters uh, back in uh, two. 2001, they were just transitioning to the new C-130J Hercules. Uh, so for the, I, those are kind of classic airplanes. Those P3s are. So I, I digress, James. You're, you're at least right about the NOAA ones, but the Air Force apparently is flying newer versions of uh, the C-130 right now. And, and if I am right, and I'm not saying I am, I'm right as of 2009. So a lot <laughs> has possibly changed since then. <laughs> Uh, but I do know, and I saw this before, and I thought this was cool. They've attached radars now, kind of like the nose of the plane or the bottom of the plane, depending on the model, to kind of get some traditional radar uh, observations when they're out in these storms as well. And I saw that uh, earlier, and I think that's probably one of the newer products being being used. Uh, in that interview I did with Bill Reed, I was playing it back before the extended interview. He also talks about they are working on a new piece of technology to allow them to better visualize, predict, and inform the communities about storm surge. Well, fast forward to 2016, and I'm pretty sure we're getting a test run of exactly what he was talking about in 2009. We'll show that in a second as we're looking at Ricky's face. Hey, Ricky, uh, we Hi. are appearing in on your screen a moment ago as you were showing uh, Google Earth there. But uh, Shay, would you be our best expert to talk a little bit about this new sur a storm surge 
kind of visual uh, representation they're trying to use right now in the Big Bend of Florida, and I'll put it up on the screen. Uh, sure. Actually, before you put that up on the screen, let me um, let me kind of give uh, an idea of where they're coming from with this. I had the extratropical storm surge. I'm trying to find it again. Here we go. Uh, they've been experimenting with this for a while. This is based off the GFS, and I don't know if you can see this right now. My own screen share. We got you. Yeah, we got you. All right, cool. Uh, so we can kind of go around the country and look at different points that they have. These are uh, NOS stations that, that have water. Uh, they, they measure the water heights and temperatures and everything. Uh, so for the Gulf, you know, we have these points, and you can see here in St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, the forecast for the storm surge for the system is in the black here. Uh, the blue line represents the, the normal tidal mark where it would be, and then you can see where it's verified already, and you can see St. Petersburg's already verified about a foot and a half over uh, what it was going to be for today. Uh, it's expected to be higher tomorrow, uh, passing the four-foot. Uh, it's actually going into high astronomical tide mode at this point for the St. Petersburg area. So if we go a little further up into the Big Bend of Florida, this is also going to be a concern for Apalachicola, Apalachee Bay. Um, what is it? What, I think it's Wakasaw Bay is another one just to the south of that, north of Tarpon Springs, uh, Cedar Key. You can see the surge here uh, early Friday morning going well over the high astronomical tide value at about nine feet. So you're talking about a little over four foot of difference. So they're, they're calling for basically here about a four foot storm surge in this model. Um, and if we go up to Apalachicola, you can see, you know, the distinct differences here. So uh, I, you know, when they get into the storm surge modeling, I'm sure that they're factoring one of these into it. Uh, there's probably many, many uh, storm surge models that they factor in. They've probably done some work with the local uh, colleges, maybe University of Southern Florida or some of the other coalitions, uh, cooperatives to come up with this information. So um, kudos to them for coming out with it, and I'm excited to see how well it's going to verify for this year. And if we go to I'm trying to find out where it is again, because I had it. I think I, I think I might have it here on the screen. Here we yeah, go. It's Prototype. There we go. And you have to just sign in a disclaimer that you understand. Uh, and and you, it's an interactive map, so you can kind of go in and you can tinker around with it and find out what the storm surge is going to be. Um, storm surge inundation map. This one's also a part of it. And we click continue, and you can kind of zoom in on this and figure out maybe what you're looking at for your area. So it's a really good product. It looks pretty good so far. You can do inundation with intertidal layer, which uh, goes a little further inland, up rivers, and into the estuaries and wetlands. And you can kind of zoom in. It gets it gets on the high resolution side. So um, this is probably part of NOAA's digital coast that they they come up with these studies and they actually use lidar equipment to go around and they they define the the landmass as is and then they do the storm surge. Uh, they add these products into it. Uh, so if you do inundation layer only, then you have greater than three feet above ground for, for a lot of the yellow areas here in the blue, greater than one foot as you head inland, that goes a little bit higher up. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I, I usually try to stick with the extratropical storm surge model for that, but if we go up further here to the north, you can see where the, the storm surge definitely increases. So you're talking greater than three feet for these areas, just like what we saw in the ET model, uh, in inundation layer only. Uh, I, even some of this surge comes up to six feet. So uh, wow. it's a really, really, really good product to use. And you can actually see how that, that spans out. Whoops, let me get off of there. Um, you can see how it spans out across the southeast coast as well because we're going to have some southerly winds, some very strong southerly winds coming up 
convergent winds along the eastern side of the system as it goes across land. Uh, and these winds are going to be a driving force pushing water up into the rivers and streams, uh, estuaries, wetlands, you name it. And this is a great product so if you have some time to take a look at it and, and zoom in onto your area and find out where maybe there's going to be some uh, shallow coastal flooding or some nuisance flooding in your area. You guys, wherever you live, I'm sure you know with those areas that flood uh, frequently, especially with rains, heavy rains coming, driving winds along the coast, that's a, a good combination for coastal flooding, especially at high tide. High tide, I believe, here in Charleston on Fridays around, uh, I think, about 9 or 10 in the morning. So we might be okay for the afternoon. Uh, but, you know, other areas down in Florida, they're not going to fare so well. Their, title, their titles, uh, times are different down there. So if you get a chance to take a look at it, I don't know if anyone else has anything to add to this. Uh, maybe maybe someone on the panel here has a little more knowledge about it. I just wanted to, to mention for a second, Shay, the wind field on this is slightly larger, it seems, than most tropical storms, especially as it's going to undergo that kind of interaction with this trough that's coming down. That's going to play in a little bit into some of these surge totals uh, or just the area impacted by it. No, that's absolutely right. So you have a, a strong southerly convergence along the eastern side of the system. And that, that's always been the case even from the GFS and the Euro models from days ago, uh, keeping the eastern side of the system as strong. So your convective areas are going to be the strongest on that side. And so the whole eastern portion of it, you're going to have this accelerated wind. Uh, along this side where it gets caught up in the trough, it's just going to ride along and get picked up in the jet stream. There's actually some jet streaking that's going to come down across North Carolina and pick this thing up and ride it up the coast even more. Uh, so when you have jet streaking aloft or even connection to that upper jet, uh, it, it definitely precipitates down into the lower levels. You get this very strong convergence uh, heading into the low once it actually gets up into this area. I'm sure it'll be a low pressure by then, but as a tropical storm, cutting through here, it could be a strong tropical storm. And I'm just curious to get Gary's take, and it may have even been last week that we were talking about this. We kind of have a good test run now of this product. Gary, does having a product like this make it easier to convey to the viewer what exactly we're talking about when we talk about serious uh, flood surge? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Anytime you can give a visual reference, uh, the, the, the hardest part is, is people knowing where they live. Uh, it amazes me today that, that there, there seems to be some kind of reason why people just don't exactly, when they look at a map, have a, a good, good general idea of exactly where they live or where they commute or, or where they work. So, uh, you know, that's always a very important thing. But I think anytime you can give visual reference uh, to the possibility of something uh, such as a storm surge, which is so dangerous when you have uh, these tropical systems. I think it's fantastic. As a matter of fact, uh, our uh, our WSI system actually has a surge product, and we've had it available for over a year now, but we haven't had a chance, thankfully, <laughs> to use it. So this is probably going to be our first opportunity because, like Shay was pointing out along the South Carolina coast, right now it looks like the potential for the greatest surge in North Carolina may be along that south-facing coast, say, from Calabash uh, down across to the Cape Fear region right there uh, with uh, the way this uh, storm is going to affect us here in North Carolina. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that product actually uh, affairs uh, with this system. Absolutely. And, and, and as a New Yorker, I, I'm happy to see this product rolling out because I know it was a big problem in the New York area after Sandy. So 
Uh, we'll wait and see if if this joins the conversation in the Northeast area again, as they are kind of right now inside this big uh, area of uncertainty. Scotty, I know we have some viewer questions as we come up to 9 o'clock. I'm willing to put them up on the screen, but I wasn't sure if you had a particular order. If you wanted to read them off, I'll throw it back up to you. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, we can do that. Uh, I'll go with the first one that was submitted a little bit over uh, about 26 minutes ago. So thank you for everyone who's watching tonight. Uh, we've got a lot of positive comments on Twitter. Uh, Chandler is wanting to know, and I'm going to give this to Gary since this is uh, his area. Uh, Chandler is driving to Boone from Raleigh uh, around 10 a.m. on Friday. What should the wind and the rain be like as I drive to Boone? Okay. Uh, well, my son's up at Appen Boone, and I'm actually, I'm actually concerned about him because he may be driving back to Charlotte to see his girlfriend. Maybe his girlfriend's going from Charlotte to Boone to see him. But I'm I got that. In the, I bet I've been watching on this, Chandler. So uh, right now, if you're going Raleigh to Boone uh, at that time of day, you know you may be dealing with some tropical rain showers. The heaviest rain certainly won't be in the area. Uh, as far as wind, might be a little bit breezy, but as far as you know, really bad things happening to impede your travel, I think you're going to be in, in, in pretty good shape uh, during that time frame. Later in the day, afternoon into the evening, things are going to kind of fall apart along that route, but I think if you're going in the morning, uh, arriving early afternoon, Raleigh to Boone, you should be in good shape. All right. The next one is from Brett. Um, he is a high school student uh, going on a cross-country trip uh, this weekend, cross-country for his high school, wanting to know what the rain's going to be like uh, anywhere between Shelby and Asheville. So that's kind of my area. So I'm going to pop up a graphic right quick, and I know Shay's got to run, so we'll try to uh, get this off here in just a set, or off in a little bit uh, so Shay can get back. But this is from Grant Gilmore. i got to find my tab. Here it is. Uh, can you guys see my, my page? Here we got you. Okay, so this is uh, the NAM model. I, I believe this is the latest model, uh, latest model run that's come out. And uh, Grant was was kind of picking up on something that I was concerned about, especially here in the Western Carolinas. And Gary knows a lot about this, and so does Ricky. Uh, is the upslope potential? So if, if this track continues uh, on on the trend that it's going towards, or maybe even a little bit more westward. Uh, we could start to see some orographic lift with uh, with the over western North Carolina. So right now, uh, I don't think we're going to see a lot of heavy rain in North Carolina. But if that track continues to go a little bit more to the west, uh, we could see some upslope flow, uh, especially in the foothills and the eastern slopes of the mountains. That we could see a lot of heavy rain, and I believe that's what the NAM is picking up here on this model that Grant uh, Gilmore just posted about 30 minutes ago. So. Uh, that's something definitely to watch right now. I wouldn't bet on a lot of heavy rain in western North Carolina at the moment. Uh, it's something we're going to have to watch over the next uh, few model runs and see uh, what that does. But the, the potential of, of seeing some upslope flow, especially in the foothills in, in the western Piedmont and, and just right along those ridge tops in the mountains, uh, could present some flooding. Uh, Gary, you have anything to add on with that, with, with your dealings of upslope flow? No, uh, you're right on the money, man. If this thing shifts a little bit farther to the west, uh, which with the latest GFS, it seems to be kind of on track, but we'll see what the models, you know, again, we're a couple of days out. But you're absolutely right. If we, we bear a little bit more to the west on the track, then that orographic lift is going to kick in, and we would see a lot more rainfall across western North Carolina. So uh, overall, kind of a wait-and-see situation at this point for the western part of the state. All right, and I think, James, you have the next one put up. 
I do. I have the next one ready to go here. It's a question about the chances of tornadoes with the storm. Uh, why do some tropical storms produce tornadoes? It's worth noting uh, this individual is asking kind of about the chances of tornadoes where they are. We've uh, messaged them back uh, to find out exactly where they are. We're waiting for that answer. If they're still watching, do let us know. But I'll ask David Reese to kind of in general talk us uh, about, uh, talk us through with tropical cyclones, David. Where is the largest threat of seeing tornadoes and why? I mean, one of the one of the largest threats is actually in some of the uh, feeder bands that swirl around the center of circulation. They like to spin up tornadoes just because they're going counterclockwise around that low pressure, and then depending on the local topography, you might have winds going a different direction, and then you all of a sudden get a quick spin up. I know they typically form on the northeastern side or the right front quadrant of the storms. So that's definitely something that we'll have to watch for for the Big Bend region and also Tallahassee and the rest of uh, central and eastern Georgia and also up into the Carolinas. And like Gary was saying earlier, it's like you have that front there. Well, the front is basically winds changing direction. Well, you have something kind of moving up. You can get a quick spin up there. So I can let Gary kind of answer what he expects there in uh, the Carolinas, but it's also a concern up here in Virginia as well. There's going to be that funnel boundary that moves through on Thursday, but it's going to try to get pushed back towards us, towards the west. So where that funnel boundary exists, it'll help squeeze out a lot of rain and moisture and also the potential for some quick spin-ups just in the uh, nature that those things like to uh, spin up. I'm kind of losing my train of thought there, but uh, Gary, you can, <laughs> yeah, you can pick it up for the uh, Carolinas and what you kind of expect there. Yeah, and, and yeah, we talked about it earlier. Uh, many times we see a, a tropical system interacting with these frontal boundaries that are setting across the area. And like you said, you got that's the key. You've got the friction that's uh, helping to cause uh, variations in speed shear. That means the winds are slowing down at the surface, but they're maintaining their speed higher in the atmosphere, so you get a certain amount of rotation that develops there. You also have winds coming in from different directions because of a frontal boundary over the area and the, the spin of the low of the tropical system. So you've got a lot of ingredients coming together that can give you these quick spin-ups. Now the problem is uh, that we face with these tropical-initiated uh, tornadoes is they don't tend to live long and sometimes they can be very hard to see even with the Doppler radar uh, because a lot of times the radar will actually shoot over the top of these uh, these these tornadoes and, and, and don't pick up the rotation. Uh, not to mention right now it looks like we're going to see this storm come in during the night. So as far as somebody actually seeing uh, a tornado, that can make it even trickier as, trickier as well. Uh, but again... Um, the main threats that a lot of inland communities are going to see, possibility of heavy rains, uh, possibility of isolated tornadoes, and again, that possibility of strong gusty winds. Though, over much of North Carolina, this has been fairly dry over the last week or so, rivers and streams are down, so widespread flooding, not that much of a concern, though we could see some localized flooding if we get some heavier rains over certain individual areas. And I do want to apologize to Brett. He goes to Gardner-Webb University, so my bad on that. I apologize. So, and uh, Gary Chandler said you have eased her, uh, eased her mind, so thanks for that info. Very good, very good. All right, we have a couple more questions that are circulating around on Twitter. I'm not sure which one of our panelists are going to want to take it. Maybe we'll just do old-fashioned school, raise your hand if you have a, a thought or something you want to share here, or, or we'll just go for it. But uh, Leon wants to know, uh, hey, if the jet stream moves eastward, why do most tropical systems start off moving westward? 
Anybody in particular want to? St- Otherwise, I can take this one because it took me a second to figure out what he was talking about, but then I figured it out. And and I, I guess I understand from from a from a public's perspective in our neck of the woods, a lot of the weather, generally speaking, moves west to east. But but these these guys are are powerful enough to kind of become big weather makers in in themselves, aren't they? Yeah, David. Yeah, I mean you get the you get the you you get the westerlies in the tropics, so you kind of have the easterlies in the mid latitudes. You have the westerlies in the um, tropics, and you just have those westerly winds just kind of pushing everything back off towards the west, and that's why you have everything kind of just moving from east to west in the tropics. And then once it gets uh, north of a certain latitude, twenty three and a half, it's like all right, it can kind of start getting picked up by the mid-latitude systems, which usually impact and affect the whole of the United States. So that's why, yeah, the jet stream that we normally talk about, that Gary, Ricky, and I normally talk about, yeah, it goes from west to east, but in the tropics, you have the winds going in the opposite direction. So that's the basic answer as to why tropics and tropical systems, like the tropical wave that just came off Africa, you have that going off to the east. So it's a rather... There's a wind graphic that I'm trying to think of. Let's see if I can find it. If anybody can oh, add to Oh, I think that. I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. It'll take me a second to pull it up or for you to pull it up. So I'm going to ask this next question, and we'll circle back around to it. And by the way, you can tweet us questions at Carolina Weather Group. That's uh, Carolina WX Group on Twitter. Uh, one I more question here. and I think by the way. It's the easterlies and the westerlies and the mid-latitudes. My bad. Oh. It just depends on the hemisphere, right? Um, yeah, sure. Gary, I'll, I'll ask you this one because I know you, you you watch a lot of the weather here in the Carolinas and, and are a part of coverage accordingly. And I know the Carol uh, South Carolina areas uh, itself is 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 not in your direct viewing area, but I'm sure you watched it last year uh, as we all did the the major flooding in in portions of South Carolina, especially near Columbia. And that's what this question is rooted in. Should we in the Midlands be concerned about possible severe flooding like we saw last year in October? Uh, short answer to that: No. That was a an event that, you know, it was, what was it, 500-year, 1,000-year flood? Um, and, and thankfully, nothing like that happening again. Uh, you know, you had persistent rain, heavy rain, day after day after day. Um, this situation is going to be pretty much like we're seeing in North Carolina. You're probably going to end up seeing maybe two to five inches of rainfall. Um, again, some areas could see localized flooding, but as far as widespread heavy rainfall that would, possibly uh, trigger flood, uh, flooding rains over the Midlands like you saw last October. Uh, no. The only way that could possibly occur with this system is if it stalled. If for some reason it hit the brakes and it slowed down or just stopped altogether, uh, you know, that, that is, um, that, that's not going to be the case. Uh, again, localized flooding, flood-prone areas, potential there. Uh, but as far as widespread flooding to the extent we saw last fall, no, thankfully that should not be the case. Uh, real quick, David, was this the map you were looking for? Where we're looking at the winds here in the atmosphere and kind of displaying them? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of them that you can use. I also had just the general schematic of one that I uh, messaged on Facebook real quick. And that just kind of gotcha. gives the broader global scale is to the easterlies and westerlies. Sorry, I had it backwards. I'm fighting a headache right now, but I had it backwards. So you have the uh, easterlies in the tropics and the westerlies up aloft. So it's where the wind comes from. So, but, uh, but yeah, that's that kind of also sums it up. And you also have some of the 
ones in the uh, higher up in the atmosphere as well. Uh, fantastic. I apologize for putting you on the spot, David. Gary, thank oh, you for fine. your insights on, on flooding, and we'll go over Scotty, who I think has another question. Yeah, I have one uh, for David. Uh, David, this is, comes from Shirley. She said, uh, can you ask David what he thinks we can expect, if anything, in Page County, Virginia, camping on the South Fork of the Shenandoah? Oh, Page County, Virginia. Let's see. We can expect... Uh, it depends. If, if it trends a little bit more to the west, which was a trend that we saw earlier today, then you can definitely pick up a little bit more in the way of rain, and uh, of course you have the Blue Ridge Mountains right there uh, along the eastern side of Page County, and that will help bring out some more moisture as well. So that's definitely something that we'll have to watch for, the potential for uh, flooding rain, especially if you're staying down very close to the river because that river could rise rather quickly even if you're not close to the mountains, or even if it's not raining, it'll come off the mountains and it could potentially surprise some people like what we had uh, earlier this month with some heavy rain falling upstream and uh, some people had to be rescued in northern Virginia along riverbanks. So definitely just stay aware of what's happening along the mountains if you're uh, deciding to camp near the Shenandoah River there. Uh, fantastic, David. I, I know uh, Scotty's got a picture, and I apologize because I, I probably jumped a second too soon. But uh, just before tonight's show, I began our weather preparation here in the Briarton household. One gallon of water per person per day, my wife and I. So I figured, all right, at least cover our bases with, with two days here. I don't know if I bought the right stuff, but you can't go wrong with Frosted Flakes. And uh, let me go ahead and put Scotty's screen up. And Scotty, is this for real? Because this is what I was trying to avoid. Is that is that from today? Day? This is today. This is from Matt Riggin. Uh, he oh, goes sure. to school at Florida State, so this is oh, in okay. Florida. Uh, but uh, this is uh, water has completely sold out there in the Walmart. Uh, I guess close to closest to Florida State's campus. So uh, at least some preparations are taking place, and that kind of takes me into this. Uh, let's kind of talk about we did have Cheryl uh, Nelson on with us a couple of months ago about preparation. Uh, this isn't particularly a major hurricane or anything like that, but it uh, could present some uh, power outages if we get some gusty winds in, in the Carolinas, uh, in Virginia, and even down along the Florida Gulf Coast. So, uh, Ricky, uh, Gary, David, what would you guys uh, suggest for uh, your followers or anyone who may be in those areas? What would you uh, tell them to do to get prepared for the storm as, we, uh, as it's about to approach? Scotty, if you if you guys don't mind, I'll go first because I got to run do some stuff for TV. Yeah, yeah definitely. Go ahead. Cool, very good. Um, you, you know, it's like you said. Um, on the scale uh, of of the storms that have hit North Carolina, Fran, Floyd, things like that. You know, this is nothing like that. Um, you know, two to four inches of rainfall, some localized flooding potentially, isolated tornadoes. Um, you know, the biggest thing is, is like you said, we could see some power outages. So keep your electronic devices charged up. Um, you know, make sure that you've got a, a good avenue to follow reputable weather sources when any warnings and watches are issued for the area. Make sure you've got an app on your phone, uh, your iPad, where you can actually get if the power goes out. Uh, you know, weather information through that app through your phone uh, because that is that is very very important to, to know what's coming your way when the power goes out uh, again 
we've talked about in this group before, reputable weather sources. Make sure it's a meteorologist that you trust, National Weather Service, broadcast meteorologist, the television station. They're not going to steer you wrong. They're going to give you the information that you need. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is, more than likely in the Carolinas, if this thing keeps moving like we think it is, we're probably going to have a bright sunny day by late in the day on Saturday, if not earlier than that. Um, but again, we've got to get through Friday afternoon, Friday night, early Saturday morning. And again, the main threats, isolated tornadoes, possibility of heavy rain, localized flooding, some gusty winds, uh, power outages, debris on roadways, travel at night, Friday night. Probably going to be some of the most hazardous uh, times that there's going to be. Uh, traveling down a road, pouring down rain, gusty winds, you can't see tree comes down, power lines come down, um, you know, that's that's the dangerous stuff that you've got to watch out for with this system. Thankfully, by the time it reaches North Carolina, it should be fairly weak, but again, like we've mentioned all through this program, even a weak tropical storm has a lot of nastiness that it can throw at you, so it can't let your guard down. Yeah, and, and Gary, you kind of hit my next question. I was wanting to get your your uh, what you thought was going to happen for the area. So you got that. So my last question to you before you go off and do TV stuff is, if Gary Stevenson was the um, the superintendent of the school systems, would he go ahead and say, hey, you need to play football Friday night on Thursday night or Saturday? Because Friday night does look like a washout, doesn't it? You know, we actually had a discussion with this in the newsroom earlier today, and we thought that, that moving them ahead to Thursday, kind of short notice, this is Wednesday right now, but if that was doable, that's what I would say. Uh, Friday night, that's going to get real tricky. Saturday's going to get tricky as well because the fields are going to be mush if we end up getting two to four to five inches of rainfall across the area. So of those three options, I would say Thursday's the best option right there. Yeah, I think uh, there may be some last-minute uh, decisions there. I do believe Friday night is a watch-out, so if you can play your football games uh, Thursday night or maybe even go into Monday of next week, I think that's the best bet. All right, Gary, thanks so much. We'll let you go off and get TV. Thank you for joining us tonight, and uh, we hope that uh, you're, you're feeling better. I know this has been a, a crazy week for you, and then all this tropical stuff thrown on to you. All right, appreciate it, guys. Everybody yeah. stay safe out there. Thanks, right. Gary, too. All right. Can I hey pose guys. the same football question to David Reese before he has to go off and actually do his yes. day-slash-evening job? Because I know uh, Tim Pounds, who sent in a question earlier today, uh, is involved with football outside the Savannah area. We've got some tropical storm warnings kind of up the Alabama-Georgia line on that side of the state. So football Friday in Georgia, David? Any thoughts? Football Friday in Georgia probably will get delayed or... Uh postponed in some form or fashion, especially for the southeastern half of the state. Let's say, oh, from Blakely through Macon up to, oh, say, I can't remember the name of that town, but basically from the, the border of South Carolina, North Car or South Carolina, Georgia. Augusta? Say 85 is. Oh, 85. No, say 85 is. Lake. I can't remember that. There's a lake yeah, there. Yeah, there's a lake there, and I can't honestly remember. I forecasted the other side. I'm not familiar with the eastern side of Georgia's topography. But uh, basically from Interstate 85, where it comes into Georgia from uh, South Carolina, basically from there down to Macon over towards Blakely, south of Columbus, I think games are going to be a little hard to come by uh, Friday afternoon and into the evening. Uh, north Georgia, you're good to go. Upstate South Carolina, uh, North Carolina, you're looking okay. Here in Virginia, we're looking golden for Friday Night Football, so not to worry about that. However, as we talk about uh, 
home openers around the college football scene on Saturday, or excuse, yeah, Saturday. That could be a little different, especially here in uh, Central Virginia. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that everything kind of goes to the east here. However, uh, uh, sports director actually mentioned it to me earlier this afternoon that we have a new football coach here at UVA, Bronco Mendenhall. The last time he was here, BYU played UVA. He was the coach, and there was an absolute torrential downpour, lightning delays, two hours, so on and so forth. So who knows? Maybe Bronco just likes playing in the rain here in Central Virginia. Blake Hartwell was the – Yes, yeah. that's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I, do wanna, I didn't hear anything after that because I was looking at the map. I do want to mention this. This is quite funny from our guest, uh, former guest, Matt Lanza. Uh, he said that uh, as of uh, 2 o'clock today, there was a big spike in the stock of Lowe's Home Improvement Home Depot. So if you, oh. uh, if you own stock in Lowe's or uh, Home Depot, you may have made a little bit of money today. <laughs> so this is a weather show, restaurant tip show, and now we do stock news. Stock, that's right. So anyways, let's, uh, let, let's get off here. Ricky, uh, David, do you guys have anything to kind of, as we wrap up, talking about? I guess we've not really had a lot of tropics to talk about, so I guess we're a little all excited about this. But in, Kate, in, in, in hindsight, I don't think it's really going to be a big deal. Yeah, I think the fun part will be watching this thing accelerate northward as we go through the next day and really day and a half. Um, you know, it's kind of just set there in the Gulf for God knows how long now. We've been talking about it for God knows how long now. And uh, I'll be happy when it races north. And then we see what it does up in the northeast. You know, if it hangs around there for a while, some model's trying to keep it up there and do some weird things with it. So this headache may not be over 100% after this weekend, but I think the impacts to our regions likely over after this weekend. Oh, yeah, and I'll be interested to see what kind of storm surge they see in the uh, Appalachian Bay area, basically from uh, Appalachicola all the way over towards, say, the Crystal River and even as far south as the Tampa Bay area because anytime somebody sneezes the wrong direction, you can get storm surge up in that portion. But, I mean, they've, they've been through this. It's been a couple of years, but they've been through this. I'm with school in Tallahassee, Florida State, so I'm somewhat familiar with the uh, topography and everything there. If this storm comes up, strengthens, hits Apalachicola. Hello, Windows. Um, <laughs> if it comes up and hits uh, Apalachicola, then they'll be on the wrong side of it. it just It's its a funnel. That, that's what that bay is. It's just a funnel, and it'll all go towards like the St. Mark's area, and it won't be good for them, but other than that, kind of glad uh, Florida State's playing in Orlando because Orlando will have a chance to dry out. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Also, I was looking at things uh, Panovich tweeted about earlier. It seems to be heading more east than north right now, like right now, coming up at 9.20 Eastern time on uh, this Wednesday, the 31st. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if that's a – longer term trend or if it's just kind of a little wobble so that'll be something I watch for over the next 12 to 18 hours and I guess uh, we won't mention about what's coming off the African coast now will we and with that you to we yourself. are going to end tonight's show <laughs> and uh, we'll see everyone next week uh, I, think, I think Ricky we may see everybody before next week depending on how this goes uh, either on social media or right back here on YouTube uh, at least some of us if not all of us uh, depending on what this storm does because we got the Carolinas in the bullseye so yeah, we'll, we'll do we have definitely... a marketing department? 
Trust the Carolina Weather Group to keep you covered. We'll make right. weather great again. That's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, stay with us in all seriousness. Uh, we all have uh, access to the Carolina Twitter, Carolina Weather Group Twitter and Facebook page, so we'll all be posting updates throughout uh, the rest of the week and throughout the weekend, and like James said, uh, if things do get crazy enough, we some of us may jump on and uh, uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in the Carolinas, but uh, definitely is going to be a little... Little interesting here, as uh, like I said, we haven't really had much topics to talk about lately. So um, here it is. It is the season, but right? I think the last point we made w- was valid. It's a tropical storm. It's going to have impacts, but this isn't the end of the world. It isn't the biggest storm we've had ever. We're just all a little giddy because we haven't had a tropical system in a long, long time. That's right, and it's and and like we talked about, it's it's been around so long. It, it seems like it's just the, I don't know. It's like just. It's been there, and we've all talked about it, and it's all been hyped up. This has probably got to be one of the most talked about, hyped up, tropical, whatever you want to talk, entity uh, that's been around in a while. So I'll be glad when it's over with. Yes. Well, until then, we have uh, quite the holiday weekend in front of us. So uh, stay safe, be prepared, and if nothing else, you'll have lots of frosted flakes and bottles of water for the next time something happens. That's right. And next week we're going to be talking about the tropics. Uh, we kind of left it open as an open discussion, maybe to kind of review what happened with Hermine, uh, maybe to talk about what's going on along, along the African coast. Um, 40% else. chance of development in yeah. five days. Yeah, and whatever else may pop up. So I need a buzzer for this show. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we're going to be talking about the tropics next week, and then the week after that we're taking the week off because... Uh, I, NWA is taking place uh, up in uh, Ricky's area, up in the uh, Hampton Roads, um, Norfolk area. And then the following week, we're going to kind of recap what happened there. So uh, make sure to join us over the uh, next few weeks before uh, October we talk about flooding. So, yeah. James has got the sunglasses on. I was getting tired of this really bright light. (laughs) And with that, we're going to end the show. Everybody stay safe. Uh, Stay tuned with us, and we'll give you updates throughout the week.